Okay, well, I am so thrilled to welcome Marilyn Simons, author of Women Watching, which was published in May 2022 by ECW Press, to this episode of the Bernard Book Club. Marilyn, would you please tell everyone about yourself? Sure. Um, and I'm very pleased to be here, Hannah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I started birding when I was around seven, which is about the same time I started writing stories. So my, my birding writing life is, is kind of, you know, proceeded uh, step by step. Uh, this book that we're going to talk about today, Woman Watching, is my 20th book. Um, it's the first time really that I dealt with birds directly. I write both fiction and nonfiction, but birds creep into all of my books one way or another because it's so much a part of my world. And I wish it was so much a part of everybody else's world. But I've, I've uh, so what have I written? Um, my most well-known book um, in Canada is called The Convict Lover, which is a, it, it was a kind of a groundbreaking experimental book um, about a prisoner in, in, Canada's version of Alcatraz, our, our biggest, oldest prison, and a correspondence he had illicitly um, over the wall with a 17-year-old girl. So that kind of started me on my way and gave me confidence to write experimentally, um, which almost all of my books uh, sort of play with form in one way or another. And the same is true of this book, Woman Watching, which is is ostensibly in one way a biography of Louise to Caroline Lawrence but in another way it's a memoir and and it isn't even a conventional biography because I really wanted the bones of the biography to show so I you know uh, so I've been publishing since 1979 so that kind of think works out to 20 books since 1979 I think it's about Almost three books a year. I mean, a book. Oh God, a book every three years. I mean, um, and yeah, it's it's what I do. I write. I have bird feeders attached to my windows. I look out at the birds. I live half the year in Mexico and half the year in Canada. Um, so both um, birds in both their breeding and their wintering grounds kind of make their way into this book. Well, it sounds like you've really lived a fascinating life and um, your stories that you intertwine in the book about your own life just really add to, you know, the story of Louise. And I think it's amazing how they've come together, you know, in this in this wonderful book. But would you tell us a little bit about Louise first? Louise. Well, Louise to Caroline Lawrence uh, was a uh, she was she was an, an aristocrat, a Swedish aristocrat. She was born to um, uh, a family that that was very highly born. Um, her father was the uh, was at the court of King Gustav V. Her godmother was the Queen of Denmark. She was born in 1894, right at the end of the 19th century, and she was born into a time when. Uh, physical activity was was really really important. It's a time when playgrounds were developed, when uh, you know everybody was out there skiing and walking and riding horses, and that's what she did. She grew up on the family estate, which was on the Baltic Sea, um, a huge family estate, several hundred years old. Uh, she was the eldest of two daughters, and her she was really really close to her father. He used to take her out on walks. Um, and taught her the names of the birds and and all of that 
but when she was 17, he died suddenly and uh, turned out the, the estate was up to its ears in debt. And so uh, the family had to sell it and moved into a small apartment in Stockholm. So from there, her story evolves. She ends up going to the uh, Russian Civil War. She ends up uh, after that uh, emigrating to Canada. And she ends up in Northern Ontario. And I don't know if your listeners know the map very well, but there's a big blob in the middle of Ontario called Algonquin Park. And she was just, just north of that. And uh, she was a nurse by this time, a Red Cross nurse. And she was, uh, her, her area was huge, 2,500 square kilometers, which she traveled by Model T Ford in the summer and dog sled in the winter. That was the kind of woman she was. She, she got the dog, she trained the dog, she trained herself to mush. Um, and one of her families, after she'd uh, been up there for six years, one of her mothers, her pregnant mothers, gave birth to quintuplets. And that was the Dion quintuplets, which people all over the world know about. They were the first quintuplets to survive more than a day. And Louise was their nurse. And so she brought them through their first year. The media around those poor little girls was just crazy. And after a year, Louise quit and built herself a log cabin in the woods and retired into the woods and watched birds for the next 50 years. And she, the, the things that she discovered by very close observation um, changed the way we think about birds. Uh, she was called Canada's Rachel Carson. Um, and, and really she was, she wrote six books, almost a hundred articles and on bird watching, both popular and scientific. And yet, you know, she died 30 years ago last spring. Uh, she's not known at all in Canada or the States. And um, I knew her. So in at, right at the end of her life. And so I, she had asked me to be her biographer and uh, took me 30 years to figure out how to do that. But I finally did. And that's how Women Watching came to be, to bring, to bring her to people, hopefully in a similar way that I got to know her. Well, and her whole story that, you know, you, you relay th through the book is so inspiring. I mean, it, it's really one of the few books that I could say is like page turning to me. I mean, I, I love to read, but I've got so many other things going on. You know, it's hard for me to just sit yeah. down and, and work a way through a book. But I mean, it. It was like every other page, she's just doing something incredible that I would never consider doing. Exactly. And, you know, when it comes through in your book that you actually found out so much of this information through reading her letters, I thought was amazing. And how you built that story through just, you know, reading letters. And of course, your experiences knowing her and reading her writings. But I, I just, I don't even know how you could piece all that together into this incredible book. So what what are some of the most unexpected things that you uh, learned in reading her her letters? Well, she, you know, she wrote to her mother. She was of a letter writing generation, right? It's hard for us to imagine. But if you translated all those texts and emails, you know, onto paper, that's what people did. She, she didn't even have a telephone until 1967. Um, so she wrote to her mother every Sunday, uh, five, six page letters, single space typewritten. So 
these were a gold mine. I mean, there was over a thousand letters. Um, but for me, they were amazing because they, they showed not only what she was doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but she, she was very open to her mother and very close to her mother. And she, she told her about things like her, her insecurity as a writer, how, how much she loved the English language. I mean, she spoke five languages, Swedish, Danish, Russian, French, and English. And, but she she loved writing in English, and she talked about that. I mean, where else would I find a detail like that? Um, she talked about all the people who came to visit her in her log house. Her log house became a mecca for ornithologists around the world. And she talked about saving up, you know, during during World War II, saving up her her sugar ration for two weeks in order to make a lemon pie for some, you know, for this famous ornithologist who was coming to visit. So there were just all kinds of small details. She talked a bit about bird watching, not in as much detail as I would have liked because her mother wasn't a bird watcher and her mother, I think was a little um, astonished that her very well-born daughter had turned out to be somebody living in a log cabin and tramping in the woods with that and no electricity, no running water, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, but she did tell her little details like she used to pin a cushion to the bottom of her coat when she went into the woods. And she did a dawn walk every day for 50 years. And then she would do nest watches. At one point, she had 62 nests under observation. So, you know, in the spring when there was still snow on the ground and, and in the fall when it was raining, she'd have this cushion hanging on the bottom of her coat. So you could just flip it under her so she could sit on a snowbank or a doggy stump or something in order to do her nest watches, which would last for, you know, eight, 10 hours. So little details like that. Um, there was one rather earth shattering thing, which I'm not going to reveal because it's, you know, it's, you got to read the book, you got to read the book for something, right? Um, and, and this was something she didn't even tell her mother that I found um, kind of buried in a, in a speech um, that was a very odd thing. Uh, but from her mother and from her letters to ornithologists, I found all those tiny details that really you can only pick up by knowing someone, you know? Um, and it's, it's funny since I, since I've written the book and started doing uh, talks, people in the audience who have known her have supplied other details. I almost feel like I need to, to write, you know, vol two. <laughs> yeah, she really does. There are so many, um, things that I, I read in there is like, how could anyone possibly know that? But you're right, you know, letter writing generation and puts all those details in there. Like if someone was to um, biography, you know, put, do a biography of my life, they'd probably just go through Facebook and it wouldn't have all those tiny minutiae material things in there. Exactly. Exactly. I, I often wonder how people are going to, um, how they're going to write biographies in the future because the resources will be very different. In some ways, there will be a greater mountain of, of, of ephemera, but I'm not sure it will be as, as pointed as, as it was in the last generation. Who knows? So as you mentioned, you knew her personally uh, later in her life. What was your relationship with her? 
Well, so we both lived in Northern Ontario um, at a time when Northern Ontario was still a bit off the map. And there were, to my knowledge, no other writers. So it was just Louise and I, and I, I was just starting out. She was just at the tail end of her career. Uh, she was what? She was almost 50 years older than I was. Um, I had two little kids. I was living in the woods, doing the back to the land thing. Um, so, and I knew she existed and I bought her book and I went to a book signing in the nearest town, which is North Bay. And, um, and we met and we, we kind of felt a connection. And after that, I, I would go over to her house and visit with her and we would talk birds. And it, we talked a lot of writing because for both of us, you know, the, the North was a real inspiration for both of us, but it also threw up all kinds of obstacles because you, you, you weren't in the thick of it. And, and even getting down to get into the thick of it was, was a bit of a trial, right? So, um, she she struggled with that you know she um she always wanted to be published in the united states first because it was a larger market a much larger bird watching uh, population uh but it meant she wasn't there to help with the promotion uh so her sales were never very big i mean i think i, I think more people have met her through woman watching than through her own books. And luckily, a lot of her books are still available through aid books or, you know, um, through through modern paperbacks. And so I hear from a lot of people who read who read this book about her and then go on to buy her books, which still stand up. I mean, she published through the, uh, her books were published through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And they still, and, and earlier, her first book was 1945, actually. Um, they really stand up. They stand up very well. So you mentioned um, a, a little way through, you say, uh, this is Louise saying, I have far, far more interesting topics to write about than my own self, while frankly, it does not interest me one bit. Somebody else can write about me sometime if they find the subject worthwhile. And then you put in there, I do think the subject is worthwhile. So what do you think she would think about your book? Well, that's an interesting question because as I mentioned at the beginning, this is not a conventional biography. I wanted the bones of biography to show. So I, I take the reader, you know, into her house, into, into um, the bird vaults at the Royal Ontario Museum, into Library and Archives Canada, um, and, and I share with them the ethical dilemmas, right, of writing about the life of someone that, I mean, obviously, very few people do you know them their whole life from birth to death. And in this case, I only knew her for the last 10 years of her life. And so I did run into ethical dilemmas, you know, how much do I say about challenges in her life, about some of the difficulties she faced? at the end of her life in terms of aging. And um, and she had a, a, a huge contretemps with, um, with the doctor in charge of the quintuplets and the family for a while. And then that was resolved and with the province because they were guardians of the girls. You know, how much of that whole thing do I put in? And 
I decided because Louise was such a forthright person. She was absolutely unpretentious. She she was not a careerist. She did not think in terms of, you know, how can I get my name out there? You know, the concept of branding would have been anathema to her. But so because of that, because because I knew her to be absolutely honest in all things, um, I felt that I could also be honest about her life. Um, I'm, you know, one one can never know how she would feel about it, but I I think she would like it. I I think she would be kind of tickled that that somebody did this. I mean, she asked me to be her biographer. Um, I, I wrote a profile of her for Harrowsmith magazine, uh, 1989, and she read it and she really liked it. And she asked me to be her biographer. So she was thinking of legacy at that time. And that's the other thing that, that I, that I felt gave me permission. You know, she wanted there to be a biography and I don't think she would have ever wanted anybody to pull the punches. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, you think she was a really open and honest person and that, that really comes through that honest and would, would tell you, you know, if she struggled or not. And I think she, I mean, I only know her through you, but <laughs> I do definitely think that she would be, be proud of it. And I think those challenges, you know, that you mentioned in there is, is such an important part of it because there's challenges that she faced that I could never even fathom because she lives such a different life than I did. And it really just adds to her character. Yeah. I, I think it shows how, how unique she was and how, how grounded she was in her life. I've had a lot of correspondence from young women, um, especially that that cohort that graduated during COVID and, you know, their, their view of the world is, is pretty bleak. They have, you know, they have not had the opportunities that other cohorts have had, but they find in Louise a tremendous model of somebody who, boy, she just did it her own way. You know, she was, she was born to diamonds and pearls and tiaras and, you know, her best friend ended up being the queen of Norway. And, but she ended up, you know, living in a log cabin with almost, you know, nothing. I mean, her log cabin was hilarious because outside it looked like a log cabin, right? And you went in and there was all this 17th century pewter and brass and, and, you know, um, handmade quilts from the 16th century on the wall. And I mean, it was just, it, it was, um, it, it was bizarre, but somehow it came together in her um, in, in really a wonderful and unique way. I felt it was a real privilege to know her. So you mentioned that you've had letters from younger women, what you just mentioned, but was there any other feedback that you'd received that surprised you? Some of the, the letters have been so amazing because they tell me things I didn't know about Louise. So one of the, one of her big uh, accomplishments that's still mentioned in books and on the Cornell, all about birds websites, et cetera. There's a lot of her research on woodpeckers, for instance, that is still there. Um, but, but her big thing, partly because it's so unusual, is that she did a dawn to dusk bird call count um, in 1953. And she did it for the red-eyed vireo. So she was out there at 3 o'clock in the morning waiting for the very first red-eyed vireo song 
when that happened, she followed that bird until it sang its last song, and it sang 22,197 times through the course of that one day, which is, you know, obviously pretty astonishing. I mean, the bird's astonishing, but so is she. I mean, how do you count that high? Um, but one of the letters I got was from a fellow who said that he knew her when he was in his 20s. And he would often drop by her log house. And she was so generous and warm and welcoming. And they'd sit and drink Swedish coffee and talk about birds. But one day, he dropped in. And she wasn't in the house. So he went out in the woods and called her name. And she just screamed at him, get out, get out. And that was the day in 1953 when she was doing the red-eyed vireo count. So who knows? The number could have been higher, but he distracted her. It could have been. Yeah, that's what he said in his letter. He said, I always wonder if there were actually three more calls. But she didn't hear because she was yelling at him. That's incredible. <laughs> so uh, what what do you want folks to take away from this book? Well, I've been writing long enough to know that people will take away what they take away. And it's very often not not what I put in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I went to a book club once for one of my earlier books, uh, a novel called The Holding. And, and the woman who was presenting did like a half hour on fire imagery in my novel. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I had no idea I did any fire imagery. <laughs> so... You know, I, I do believe that a book isn't finished until it's read. And I'm always interested in how people respond to a book. I mean, I, I, hope, I hope they get to know Louise. That's, that's really the, the biggest thing. And I've had a lot of letters from people, actually, who have said that they weren't really interested in birds, that they read the book because of Louise. But. When they finished the book and they went outside, they heard the birds for the first time in their life. And so that, that feels very profound to me. If it, if it brings people to birds um, before it's too late, um, because as we know, we lost 3 billion in birds in the last 50 years. And, uh, you know, who knows how many billions before that? During Louise's time, one of the, her major studies was documenting the population decline of warblers in her woods, with a study that she did through 1940 and early 1950. Um, you know, we're, we're losing birds at an astonishing rate. And if, if this book will help bring people to birds and help them see how much one person can influence the outcome of our environment, then that, that would be a wonderful thing. So you are a very prolific writer of a variety of genres and, and topics. What other projects do you have on the horizon? Well, uh, I have, um, I have a novel just finished. I, I write both novels and uh, both fiction and nonfiction, short fiction, long fiction, nonfiction, travel. You know, I, I just write whatever, you know, whatever, wherever my curious curiosity goes, I follow. And I live half the year in Mexico now and have for the last uh, 12, 13 years. 
And so the new novel is set in Mexico and uh, set during the Zapatista War in 1994. And so that is now making the rounds of publishers. We'll see if somebody wants to publish it. And at the same time, I'm writing another book called uh, Still Life with Beth. And it's uh, not really a series of conversations, a series of vignettes um, between myself and my good friend, Beth, who is 103. I'm 73. She's 103. Um, by the time I get to be 100, should I be so lucky or not, um, there will be 40,000 people over 100 in Ontario alone. So we're going to start living a lot longer. So we're living way past our three score and 10. And Beth and I talk a lot about what that 30 years is like. And so, you know, it's just in its very early stages. I don't know how it's going to end up, really. I'm a very intuitive writer. I kind of follow the material and see what happens. Uh, but that's that's my current project. Well, wonderful. I look forward to checking both of those out when uh, when they're both out. And I appreciate you chatting with me about th this current book, uh, Women Watching. Like I said, it was just such a joy to, to read. And I encourage everyone listening to check it out. It was fantastic. And, you know, I, I wrote a bunch of notes that I, I keep going back to. And there's so many um, other women birders that you mentioned in here that I was oh, not yeah. really aware of until reading about them. And it's like, oh, man, I got to Google all these other people and it's just open up a whole new world. So I thank you. for well, I, Yeah, I forgot to mention that there's a whole chapter, chapter on women birders, because Louise would be the first to say that she wasn't unusual. But there were all kinds of, you know, kind of eccentric women out there tramping through the woods and the fields. And, um, and, and when I started looking at it, I mean, they go back along, you know, you know, the very early uh, 19th century, late 18th century, and that, that we know of, and certainly, of course, indigenous um, men and women, birds played a huge part in, in their mythology. So, so that that was a very fun part of the book to write well thank you so much for joining me and uh, it was it was really a pleasure talking with you thank you hannah it was a pleasure being here so thank you so much for tuning into the bird nerd book club and i appreciate you listening so if you'd like to check me out on the socials you can follow me at hannah goes birdie on instagram my twitter is at women birders hh or you can email me at hannah and eric go birding at gmail.com <laughs>